You're listening to Startups for Good, where we explore high growth and high values ventures. I'm your host, Miles Lassiter, founder and investor. Join us to hear stories of entrepreneurs. Join us to be inspired, to be a founder, or to work for a startup. Join us to be part of a community that believes startups can be a force for good. Welcome to Startups for Good. On this episode, I speak with Muriel Clausen, who's co-founder of Anthill, an HR solution for employees who don't sit at a desk or a computer. Anthill is focused on helping workers in manufacturing and supply chain roles have the same support in their careers as their desk peers. Muriel has been an active researcher and advisor on the future of work and artificial intelligence. She's authored scientific publications, was a scientific advisor for several governments, and organizations around the world, and is an advisory board member for Humans for AI. Previously, she advised former ambassadors, prime ministers, and presidents across four continents on their future of work policy through her work with Interaction Council, doctoral candidate in industrial organizational psychology at the University of Georgia, and conducted research at Emory University. She tells it in the episode more about their fundraising, but they've done over $4 million between pre-seed and seed and have an employee count of 31 with 10 full-time. We discuss the journey from academic researcher to founder and CEO, what you have to unlearn, what you have to learn. We talk more about what is the makeup of the workforce these days and how do deskless workers fit in, how they get less attention perhaps in the public conversation and in terms of tools that are being built for HR, what the pandemic has meant for her company and for these workers, and we also get into a great offer from her for startup founders. So please stay tuned to the end. I think you'll enjoy it. Welcome to Startups for Good. Meryl, so great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. So to dive right in, I'm curious, what's the transition like from academic research-oriented view of the world to being a startup CEO? <laughs> yeah, it's taking basically everything that you've just learned for seven years and like downloading that information out of your brain so that you can think clearly again, and then grabbing the pieces that are useful tools to get to your goal. But yeah, my, my co-founder, Youngjie and I, we met in our PhD program, which is really where the idea for Antel came from and was an incredible source of inspiration and taught us kind of the methodology behind our product. But also I, I'm grateful for this startup experience and how much it's taught us just like what actually matters and getting down to brass tacks and, and speaking in a language that people understand and can get behind. So that's a big part of the story. <laughs> so what's the number one or two things that you need to unlearn? I think the biggest thing is just saying things simply. And we're always thinking about that on the Antil team. Like, how do we say this in a way that really speaks to the need that someone has? How do we ask a question in a way that's going to help us really understand where someone's coming from? So just the language piece. And I, I'm actually shocked how, like how much language influences like your ability to connect with and learn from someone. And I, uh, that should be obvious, but I think coming from an academic circle, you know, you have to then learn that language there. My background is I grew up in Alaska. I was not, you know, a part of the academic world. So I had to first learn that and then kind of unlearn it again to connect with who our, our customers are and our, and uh, the people who actually use our product are today. But the other big piece is I think there's so many fancy things you learn to do when you study machine learning in grad school. 
And I think getting over the technology was a really important part of building our product. You know, technology is awesome if it's a tool to solve a real problem somebody has. Less awesome if you're just seeing like, what's the fanciest possible technology thing we can do today? And I think realizing like what part is valuable and an enabler of people and what part is kind of extra noise. So that's both of those parts have been a big journey. So customer focus, how you communicate and what technologies you pick to solve real problems that real people have. I mean, it all comes down to the people. I mean, Young Jay and I started this company because we saw a real problem impacting real people that we knew personally and love and care about. Um, Yeah, we want to solve that problem. We don't want to look cool or seem cool. We want to actually solve that problem. So what was that problem? Yeah, so I'll tell you the long story. So I grew up in Alaska. Most of the people I went to high school with do not go to college. They took jobs in manufacturing, welding, um, working with like in fulfillment centers, like all of these jobs that I think, you know, are really the backbone of our experience living day to day. We love going to the grocery store and seeing stock shelves, but a lot of people don't think about. And I think we saw during the pandemic, there were so many times that, you know, the narrative was just like, oh, we're all working from home. We're all in our sweatpants right now. We're all adjusting to this new normal, but there was actually not change for a lot of workers of over a hundred million workers in the United States never worked from home. They continue to kind of keep things moving in our country. And these are important jobs. These are people that actually value these jobs and want to grow their careers, just like you and I. And they've been this kind of forgotten population of the workforce for a really long time. And it's not not in a malicious sense. I think a lot of HR professionals would love to help these workers, but they are tougher to reach with the kind of arsenal of tools that they've had access to. The biggest thing is that, you know, a lot of times if we're trying to solve a problem in a scalable way, we, you know, build a software. But the problem is if you have people that you're trying to reach with a solution who don't really interact with the forms of technology that software lives on, you're not reaching them. And so I would argue that the biggest problem is we haven't included what is actually 80% of the global workforce in most of the great things we've done to improve the work experience over the last decade as a kind of broader HR community. And there's so much potential if we start to actually communicate with and include these people in the same career development that has been so easy for someone like myself or like you to have access to in our careers. So if I'm understanding what you're saying, HR solutions, HR tech, software for that's around future work has all been focused to date primarily on knowledge workers and those that are working at a desk with a computer and assuming a whole set of things that comes with that. And you're approaching it for everyone else. Yeah, so we're and yeah, so we're very uninterested in designing software for knowledge workers, desk workers, workers at headquarters. We think there's so many cool things for that population. What we're interested in is actually reaching the population that is really kind of unreachable with those solutions. The what we call and what's kind of become a more common term, but I think it's still a confusing one is deskless workers. But when we say deskless workers, we mean people who aren't sitting at desks, aren't using computers probably don't have a company email address, but still have these really important jobs in our economies. So we specifically focus on manufacturing and supply chain employees today. But if you think more broadly about kind of who are deskless workers, they're in healthcare, they're in retail, 
they're in hospitality, transportation, a lot of like important functions that are all around us. And they're, it's 80% of the workforce. It's a big part of the, the working population. But I would say almost all of the tools are built for the other 20% who sit in offices or work from home on computers. And what do you build tools to allow them to do? Yeah. So first and foremost, the first problem we had to solve was just connecting with this population. So the old solution has kind of been, well, we'll take this software we designed for knowledge workers and we'll just throw it in an app so that people that don't use computers can just access it on their phone. Most of these workers have zero interest in downloading and let alone using an app. A lot of people see that as an invasion of privacy. It's, it's their hourly workers. They don't, they don't need to do that. The, the employer has no kind of right to ask them to do that. So you really have to get creative because it's like, okay, we can't have an app. We can't do something through email. We can't do something that's on their computer. So how are you supposed to actually deliver tools to these people if you're trying to even get their employer talking to them. So what we're huge fans of at Antil is text messaging. Text messaging, I think is the most inclusive technology kind of out there. If there's one thing someone knows how to do, it's text or use the remote control. Like texting is a very inclusive thing, but it also has a 97% open rate. So if an HR team is trying to get information to a worker, or if a worker has like a question that they're trying to get to their HR leader, that is a great way to connect those individuals. But then texting, like that is a mess, right? How are you supposed to do that in a scalable way and actually manage all of that communication flow and make it meaningful and something you can learn from in this organization? And that is where our technology comes in. So first and foremost, our core product called Antil Connect, and it's all about opening up two-way communication between this workforce and the employer in an organization and providing kind of this one-stop HR self-service portal for employees, where anytime they're trying to get connected with their schedule, their payment information, their kind of learning content that they're supposed to be going through, anything like that, they're able to actually access that via a text message. And I can get more into the how. For the two-way communications, we've used machine learning to automatically answer most of the questions employees would send in so that only those most critical things for HR teams to look at get escalated and kind of make it to their eyes. So we're getting a ton of kind of almost like a help desk for these employees and their questions answered without HR kind of dealing with tons of extra work because a lot of HR folks are overworked right now. And what we've seen is like, to me, this sounded almost too simple, our core product. I was like, how is this problem not solved? but you would not believe how much these workers use this. And like our most common thing that comes through is thank you. Because for a lot of kind of knowledge workers, the reason we're turning over might be culture fit or supervisor for workers in these jobs. A lot of times it's because they weren't paid on time or they didn't know how to, that they even had benefits they could enroll in, or they didn't know how to get a simple question answered or their employer had to close a plant because of a snowstorm, but they didn't find out till they pulled up to the plant and saw the sign on the door because they had no way of being told by their employer before. Like a lot of these very real stories that practically are very hard for people. And we're just solving that quick and easy problem first with companies. Then when you've opened up communication, there are endless additional things you can do. Our whole technology is built on learning a lot from and with someone from a little bit of data through our machine learning. And so we have add-on products focused specifically on retention and skills assessment and development that employers can then layer on top. But we first and foremost wanted to solve 
that basic communication and connection to information issue. Yeah, it is amazing that in this day and age, employers haven't used SMS more before. They use one way. A lot of employers have tried one way, but it's just in one language. You don't know if anybody saw it. If they, if they reply, it goes to a data graveyard and then they never actually get to learn anything from those interactions. So we've created basically text messaging with these employees on steroids, but then also made it really simple for the HR team so they can actually do it. I've talked to so many HR teams that are like, we want to have an HR help desk, but then we like tried to turn it on and we got so many requests we had to hide. And I think that's a common thing. There's just so much that they could be doing. We just make it possible to do in a scalable way. And then we make that information really meaningful to these teams. So they're figuring out like, what are the challenges our people are facing and, and how do we really resolve those? Well, that's amazing to hear. If you think of the HR team serving internal customers and they turn on a communication channel and realize their customers have so many questions for them that they turn it off. Something's broken. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, something's broken. And I think that we've been a little bit too okay with it. I think we've been like, I think we're a lot of companies like, you know, the turnover problem when it hits a certain, you know, cost amount that, that gets eyeballs, but there is an assumption in a lot of kind of fulfillment center manufacturing settings that you're, turnover is going to be over hundred percent in a year. And there's also a lot of assumptions of like, we just kind of can't fix this and we, and we can't do any better by these people. And we can't actually make our work experience any better for these people. And that's just doesn't have to be true anymore. I hope that a whole bunch of additional companies jump in and, and start building solutions specifically for this space, because there are very unique challenges of this workforce that you really have to design for from the beginning. But if you do, I just, this is like a group that's just ready to eat this up. Like the, the users on our platform couldn't be more excited to have this resource. And it's really fun to see. Now, when you go to your website, you've got a title there that says, give every employee access to opportunity. So you start with communication and you said you go into learning and development and, and maybe career pathing. Could you explain how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, <laughs> and I, my goal ultimately is that every single employee gets the same kind of career development that I've had. That's just like a personal goal I have. And my co-founder Young Jay has, we've had incredible mentors, incredible sponsorship in our careers to help us grow and think about our next step. And I want everyone to have that. And I think that that is something that can be possible for everyone. So the part of our product that long-term we get really excited about is career pathing and, and development for these workers uh, delivered through text message. A lot of companies though today, they need to first build kind of those foundational steps. Um, so some of our customers are already using that, the career pathing part of our product, but a lot need to start with communication and honestly building that basic trust with their workforce that they actually care about their experience and wanna hear from them. Over time though, where I see our company going over the next five years is, is really helping companies understand their bench strength, who are our people, what skill sets do they have, how can we create opportunities for them, and then actually reskilling a workforce or upskilling workforce or whatever buzzword you want to use for it, training a workforce to really be ready for the changes happening in this industry. The early part of my career was really focused on future work topics around kind of how manufacturing jobs are changing with technology and all of that. And I do see what we're building today as like step one of a kind of 
many step journey to making sure that both workers and leaders of organizations are proactively positioned to help kind of transform a workforce with some of the changes we're seeing with these technologies. Can you say more about the changes that we're seeing and how they're impacting the workforce? I know you've done research and advised many people about this. Yeah, and I could talk about this all day. I my big my big thing first and foremost though is I think if we look at all the all the research that was coming out around 2015 where everyone was getting real spooked about robots taking their jobs and then you saw all the articles where it's like type in your job and see the likelihood that your job goes away. I think that whole narrative isn't the most productive one. I think that was like an important way to start the conversation, but I think today we can do better. I think most people who are kind of academics or policy advisors in the space are pretty convinced that like certainly lots of parts of jobs will go away, certain tasks and jobs, certain skills will become less critical, but that if we're smart about it and if if we're actually making wise decisions, we're going to be able to find really important opportunities for these workers. And what we're seeing is a lot of People were projecting a bunch of manufacturing workers out of work. The opposite has happened. We actually find there's a shortage of manufacturing workers right now. So I do think like the narrative that is focused on, will a job exist or not, just kind of ignores the fact that there's so much mess in the world still, and we really can't quantify everything perfectly. And then there's so much, I think, individual value that each person brings to a job. So one thing that's really important to me is that we don't just have one size fits all solutions. Like I think we've seen a lot of like, oh, everybody learned to code or let's just get all of our, all of our people kind of working on hardware to know a little bit more about software. We're going to maybe become more of a tech company than an auto manufacturer What or things like that. I think we can shift into a mentality of like, let's actually give individual support, looking at who someone is, the skills that they have, the goals that they have for their career and figure out how that plugs into the strategy that we have as a company and where things are going with our technology adoption. But to personalize something like that in a scalable way, you have to have a way to learn a lot about people and and get a lot of buy-in from those people. And Young Jay and myself, we spent most of our time in graduate school working on building a pretty massive catalog of predictive tasks that help people kind of learn a little bit more about themselves in the context of work. And then we've basically use machine learning to make it that we can ask very few questions from those tasks, but give pretty holistic results quickly because we've just run so much historical data through it that you don't need to have someone take, you know, hundreds of assessments or answer thousands of questions. We can have them answer a couple questions and give them kind of a first step. So almost creating this scalable, the kind of little coach in your pocket for people that probably otherwise wouldn't have a lot of support in their career. But that is that is like where we want to go in five years. I think most of the market isn't ready for that today. So how do you do that with ML? Or maybe that's your secret sauce, but if you could explain yeah. that a little more, that'd be great. It's definitely our secret sauce, but I can tell you a little. But we we, we both, our background is in a type of basically data modeling called social network analysis. So if you looked at like, If you were visualizing our database, it kind of looks like an anthill, hence the name. There's lots of interconnections between points and it kind of becomes this giant web. But like an anthill, certain pathways are traveled more often, right? So 
we know that there's then greater kind of importance and validity on those pathways in the data. We know like, okay, this is a really important one to answer, to answer this broader question. So how that translates to the technology, we basically took a whole bunch of these assessments that already had kind of a predictive structure to them. So a question predicts a trait, which predicts a behavior or something like that. And then we've stitched them together in the sense that we take all the data sets collected across all of them, which we did with deskless workers, and we're able to basically see, oh, if somebody's answering this question this way, here's their likely next answer on this, and here's the next most important question, ask them to learn as much as possible. But we also know then, oh, if they're going down this path, this is then probably the path that connects to, almost like in an anthill, how you have some different grooves. And that is a, a massive oversimplification. Uh, the technology we built, you would only build if you were really bored graduate students for a long time. But we basically were able to do that because we had this vision of how do you reach this population? And our answer was, you have to be able to learn a lot from a little bit of interaction to deliver all of these kind of talent software solutions that we've seen other types of workers have access to. And this was our kind of answer to that question. Well, thank you for that. You mentioned that COVID and pandemic affected deskless workers a different way and not a lot of at-home work. What has changed for this population? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is it's actually, they've always had a communication challenge with leadership, like an HR director, for example, but that's actually become more difficult because before when we talk to you know HR leaders every day telling us this, this isn't something I knew <laughs> before the HR leader would maybe have a trailer outside the plant that would be their office and they everyone know they're in there on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can go talk to them and they're at a different plant the other days or something like that they're not there anymore. So they actually legitimately just don't know how to reach these people. So employers maybe set up hotlines or something, but that's that's like not something people really use. And so this communication challenge that always existed, but you could kind of get around it with a little bit of in-person has become infinitely more challenging. Additionally, HR teams have never been, they've never worn so many hats. I mean, they're all, today they're all, you know, chief medical officers, and they all basically have to act like lawyers for compliance things. And they just have so many additional things they're thinking about that I think a lot of the kind of basic day-to-day -day operational communication has been really hard to keep up with. So even if they had some system for managing it, that has become really hard. So I would say all of the things at the kind of base level of what we do that was already a problem just got massively exacerbated. I think a really positive change is that I think a lot of people while working from home were like, wait a minute, I like, I'm still seeing, uh, you know, like delivery drivers, I'm still getting my, my grocery store still has food. Like clearly some people are still out there moving. And I think there was an additional appreciation for, you know, the term frontline is often really conflated with medical workers, but it's also a term that it's inclusive of a lot of deskless workers. And I think there was this growing appreciation and respect for these jobs that I think needs to be there because these are important jobs. So it's been exciting to see, I think, companies that probably had never thought about investing in this population before suddenly realizing like we have to value these workers more. And then we've also seen a lot of workers realizing, hey, I'm pretty valuable. I want to be valued. And choosing to leave companies or choosing to unionize or choosing to do something that 
shows they want a better work experience. So I think it's basically just taken, I think, a, like an opportunity that was sitting there and just accelerated our awareness of it as a, as a society. And what do you make of this great resignation terminology? Yeah, I mean, we've only tracked this type of labor data for so long. So it's definitely, I think, like a once in a generation type event, but subtly so. I think this is something that's been an issue for a while. I think that it's unfortunate if we only notice what it's costing us tons of money. But my hope is because it is costing companies so much money right now that it helps us really dig in and, and fix some problems that have been there for a long time. I hope too that we don't slap one size fits all solutions on the problem. Most of the articles I've read recently in popular press on the topic say, you know, research shows that the number one and two reasons for turnover are culture and supervisor relationships. If you look at all the research they're citing, almost none of that sample, less than 1%, it includes anyone in the deskless worker population. That is a true result for knowledge workers and desk workers. That's not true for deskless workers. So I do think it, it's unfortunate if we have these kind of just slapstick solutions that don't actually resolve things for this population. And I think that is happening, but hopefully it helps people really dig in to the problem a bit more. I've always been. I would, I would caution everyone though, to really like question what you think, you know, about this workforce. When I, when I was first in graduate school, my first uh, publication I was a part of, we were, it was, it was called, who are these workers anyway? And we did a meta-analysis of, which is basically where you take a ton of studies and you pile them all together and you basically see like collectively what, what's going on here. And, and we looked specifically at the research samples across tons and tons of work psychology studies, like talking about the work experience. And we found that it was like less than 2% of the population in all of these studies was the deskless workers. So a lot of what we think we know about work, a lot of what we think we know about the work experience, we know about knowledge work and we have a lot to learn still about deskless workers. Given that you're working on a startup, which has a strong software component to it, I imagine most of your workers are knowledge workers. How has this background that you have impacted how you manage your own company? Yeah, I love this question. So um, Young Jay and I, we knew from day one, we were like, if we're going to work in this space, we better, uh, Antel better be one great place to work. Um, and it's really important to us. I think if we're ranking like things we want to accomplish in this business, one of the most important things to us is that Antel is an awesome place to be on the team. We have always sought out employees who have a strong connection to the deskless workforce. We have employees whose last job was working in a manufacturing plant. We have employees who don't have college degrees. We have employees who are the first person in their family to go to college. We have employees from a lot of different experiences where they really understand this population. And I think that's why like so quickly they just dive in and get up to speed when they join our team because this is something for, for our team that they've, they've always cared about. This is something that they've always thought about. And, I, and most of our employees have found us because they're like, I can't believe someone's doing this. This is so great. Or like, oh man, I would have wanted to have this when I worked at that manufacturing plant. So it's really, really fun to see just like the heart and understanding that our team has. You know, I have an uncle who's a truck driver. You know, I love talking to people who actually 
experienced this. Like a lot of the people in the community I grew up in there, when I talk to them about the great resignation, it's not an academic exercise for them. It's something they are experiencing. They're grappling with quitting their job for these like very silly, small reasons that their companies just aren't fixing. And they are like, Hey, I got to have some basic dignity from them, or I'm going to go. It's not that they're leaving just to leave. And so I do think like all of those community ties and that individual passion gives our team a, a massive leg up in understanding what to build, where to take this company and what like that experience is actually like. We also have people from HR backgrounds because just as much as we're building for the deskless worker, we're building for the HR folks who have decided to serve this population. There's, you know, a lot of people who take HR jobs in manufacturing are really thrown into an experience that they weren't trained for. It's a really unique, a really unique HR role. And we love helping them do what they're, what they're already doing and already putting a lot of effort to in a way that reaches this population more effectively. I, I think that a lot of these people are heroes that go into this job because they want to help people. And we, we try to make it easier for them to do that. Can you share more about the origin story of the company? Yeah, I can. Well, it's funny because it's like, where does it start? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'll start where Young Jane and I met. So we, he's from South Korea. I'm from kind of all over. I was born in South Africa, but mostly grew up in Alaska, but lived in many countries and states. But we both were in our PhD program, which if, if you're familiar, these are not, it's not like a, where you go to law school and there's a whole bunch of students. It's, it's small, small, small groups of students in PhD programs. So we were two of four in our cohort. So we spent way, way, way too much time together. And I was lucky enough that he's just an incredible person and someone who we were always very al aligned in what we cared about and the problems that we wanted to solve. So I would say we were in academia for about two weeks before we were like, academia is fun and all, but wouldn't it be great if we applied what we're learning to a startup? And we didn't have the idea for a long time, but we were collecting kind of just lists of problems that we kind of wanted to solve. The best thing about being a student, if any students are listening, is that everyone will talk to you and they'll help you because everybody remembers being early career and young and wanting to learn. And, and so they're, they're really, really nice to you and talk to you when you're a student. So because of that, we were able to almost use our graduate school time as this massive customer interview. We were able to do consulting with a ton of even executives at really big companies and just learn a lot about the challenges they were facing. We were also able to learn a lot of methods that were really cutting edge in kind of this space and think about it through the lens of how would we apply this to solving a problem for a product. So it was just a long time coming for us to start this company together. I also have heard many times that <laughs> the reason a lot of startups don't make it is the co-founder relationship. And we are so lucky in that department. Uh, we've worked together now for seven years and I have never seen a shred of ego on Young Jay or any behavior that isn't just a total joy to work with. He's an incredible person. And I have total respect for him and his judgment leading our product and tech team. So I think having that long period of time working together before starting the company was incredibly valuable. But it was finally when we kind of were getting to the tail end of grad school, 
we had been working on a lot of these kind of very cerebral projects around the future of work where we were working, you know, in policy advising. I even got to work with a lot of prime ministers and presidents for a time, got to do kind of a fellowship out at NASA that Google sponsored where we're doing all this cool research. And I just kind of had this moment and Young Jay did similarly where we're like, this is cool, but like, how about we get into the hands of these actual workers? And we became kind of obsessed with figuring out how to do that. And that led us to um, starting Antil. Started February, 2020. I would say like our first week, we were trying to just talk to a bunch of people. A lot of people are like, this is exciting and all, but I'm not sure we have budget earmarked for this group of workers. Pandemic hits. And then suddenly all these people are kind of calling us back and saying like, wait a minute, like these are employees still out there in the field, like talk to us and just kind of, we saw in real time, this massive shift of how employers were thinking about this population. So it ended up being a timing that was really right unexpectedly to build this. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think this idea of using your time in school and leveraging the school's brand is a great hack or it's a pattern in startups. (laughs) I really encourage students Call people, use your university's name, use the fact you're a student. I, I totally agree with you. It's it's a wonderful way to reach all kinds of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I will say is I think actually doing real research is now such a huge part of our company. Like every piece of product development, sales collateral, all of that. Like we're always just running these little experiments. Like that's what a startup is. It's just a ton of little experiments <laughs> looking for product market fit and growth. And I do think like what you learn in school around that can be really helpful. I know there's definitely other paths. I love the stories where someone, you know, blew off school entirely and, and, and jumped in, but I'm thankful for our path. Cause I think it did give us a lot of tools in our tool belt to, to basically build this in the right way from the beginning. That's great to hear my story starting a business while I was in college is that my mother encouraged me to graduate to get that degree. And so I did, <laughs> didn't end up blowing it off. Yeah. I'm curious about the numbers in the business. Anything you can share about employees, uh, number of customers, amount raised, things like that? Yeah, we did an early institutional round that was pre-seed, unexpectedly institutional. We had a great venture firm here in Chicago, Origin Ventures, that jumped in early stage. So we were able to to have some great resources to get off the ground. I do think that early stage fundraising, if you don't crack the code on it, or if it just isn't working for you for some reason, I think so many great ideas have died at that point. So I love helping founders at that stage of financing. I'll throw that out there. But then after that, and that was 1.24 million. After that, Uh, About a year later, six months ago, we raised our seed round led by Rethink Education, who are wonderful partners, uh, joined again by Origin Ventures and BBG Ventures and a few others, and that they've all been incredible, incredible partners. We were fortunate to be in a position where we really got to get to know investors and decide who our partners kind of should be. And, And we were really, really lucky with who we got to work with. We raised 3 million in that round. Um, Our employee count is going to make it sound like we're a lot bigger than we are, but because we do have an overseas kind of contract team, but we currently have 31 people on our team today, 10 full-time in the United States. And they're all just such a joy to work with and all really unique. We've worked hard to build a team that is 
really diverse on work experience and age and all of the things that help us really understand how to serve this population. And they're all wonderful. Very grateful to get to work with them every day. First version of our product for like paid full customers in June. And then we just launched our kind of second better iteration actually a month ago. So we're still very early stage. And then we have, you know, a lot more kind of booked and coming growing fast, but uh, we're really in that kind of this year focused on how do we get this into as many companies as possible and learning from them so that we're ready to really kind of after this year, hopefully raise a series A and, and scale the business. Well, an exciting story and great trajectory. Sounds like timing was right for you. I'm grateful that you've offered to help other people with their fundraising. Um, yeah. How should people get in touch or how do you want to do that? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I do think that that, those, that early fundraise, if you don't have friends and family to invest, is it's just a really tough process, but it doesn't have to be. If you crack the code, I love talking to founders at that stage who are serious about moving forward. I don't totally love when someone's just like, I'm thinking about starting a business because I think you can think about it for forever. But if you have started and you're working on raising your round, I'd love to connect. So Muriel at Antil.co, happy to chat. And then if anybody wants to learn more about the business, Antil.co is our website. We're on all the major kind of socials and we'd love to have you join the conversation in any way. We do a lot of kind of webinars too, if anyone even wants to share their own thoughts on how we can solve things for this population. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast player. And please give us a rating and review. Reviews really do help others find us. You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow me on LinkedIn. If you are inspired today and want to join our giving circle, please do so on our website, startupsforgood.com. Thank you.